0: Hi, I'm Lucas and I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks podcast. Hey everyone and welcome to this week's podcast. We have a special guest today named Grant Jenneru. Now, I was introduced to Grant's blog back in October of last year when I was reading about vitamin D, vitamin A and their connection to autoimmune disease. See I have an autoimmune disease. I have type 1 diabetes. So I am always doing research into new treatments and new possible explanations that can really make my life easier. Now, Grant puts forth a fascinating theory that basically vitamin A, as we know it, is not a vitamin, but a poison. Now, when I first heard this, I thought, this is absolutely nuts. Vitamin A and its role in bodily functions, you know, it's been studied since its discovery back in the 1900s. But Grant was getting some amazing results with his autoimmune eczema by cutting out vitamin A from his diet. Not only that, other people with autoimmune conditions were attempting it and having similar miraculous stories. So when I saw the results that people were getting, I obviously wanted to try it, and I started the diet back around December, I think. Now, it's not an easy diet. It is quite restrictive, but my personal results have been nothing short of really amazing for my life. So, to give you a quick rundown, the biggest difference for me has been mental. Now, after just a few weeks on the diet, I felt like an invisible blanket had been lifted from my mind. Now, this was back in January of this year, 2019. And this podcast was started in February. This podcast is very much a product of the explosion in creativity that I experienced at that time. I had no idea that my mind had been basically running uh, without all the cylinders going for possibly years. Now, after being on this diet for a couple months, I started to run into what the community has been calling detox symptoms. The theory being that as you go on a low vitamin A diet, your body releases vitamin A from the liver and fat storage, and you get this basket of symptoms that are associated with high amounts of vitamin A. Now, for me, it was asthma. I've never had asthma in my life, but I started having trouble breathing, and I would chronically cough up phlegm from my lungs. Now, this also coincided uh, with a period of getting a lot more sunlight, and some people say, you know, more sunlight, more vitamin D makes you detox more vitamin a i don't know if that's true or not but that's what some people say so at the time i went to several doctors i got a chest x-ray i had blood tests all showed that i was healthy and nothing was going on i tried many different supplements i tried a few drugs and i finally found that inhaling glutathione on a daily basis was the only thing that completely resolved my asthma symptoms the doctors they wanted me to go with an inhaled steroid, but you know, long term, I think steroids can have disastrous consequences. Although, you know, the doctors assured me that, you know, they were perfectly safe, I just didn't really believe them. Now, I've always wanted to detail this story about vitamin A, but I wanted you all to hear it from Grant himself, not just me. So, before we jump into the interview, you need to know a few things. So, first, vitamin A has several different forms, but the interview mainly talks about them all as just vitamin A. So first, there's beta carotene, which you probably know about from the orange color in carrots. Beta carotene is found in many colorful fruits, actually, and vegetables, and your body will convert beta carotene into the active form of vitamin A. Now, this group of compounds, they're often referred to as carotenoids. The next type of vitamin A is vitamin A itself, which is called retinol, and this is found in liver, eggs, butter, uh, other animal sources, but generally not found in fruits and vegetables. Now, retinol, it comes in different forms like retinol palmitate, and these all are often referred to as retinoids. Lastly, we talk about something called retinoic acid, which is an acidic form of retinol. Now, according to Grant, this is the baddest of the bad in the vitamin A world. If you have heard about Accutane, the drug for acne, uh, it has some horrific side effects. That's basically retinoic acid. There's also some chemotherapy drugs that are very similar to retinoic acid. So retinoic acid, or RA for short, it's some, some powerful, badass stuff. So to sum it up, there's carotenoids from plants, there's retinoids from animals, and then there's the chemotherapy-esque retinoic acid, and all of these are basically lumped under the overarching term, vitamin A. You got it? Now, Grant has been doing a no vitamin A diet for five years now. He has an amazing story of getting diagnosed with kidney disease, uh, autoimmune eczema, and being given three to five years to live, and then recovering from those conditions through this no vitamin A diet. He's written three books on the subject, which he gives away for free, and he also writes periodic updates on his blog at ggenero.blog. Now, I'll link to all these in the show notes During the interview, at around the 20-minute mark, the call is dropped, but we get right back into it. Uh, I also want to warn you that the research Grant talks about can get a little complex, but it is important to establish that the original research around vitamin A, uh, being an actual vitamin, has some serious flaws. So please join me in welcoming Grant to the podcast. Hello, Grant, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello and uh, thank you for having me here. It's yeah thank,
0: thank you so much for for coming on and, and giving us the time to do this. Now this is a this is really exciting for me because I've been following your work since I think around October and I've implemented some of your ideas and had really great results. so I've been really kind of chomping at the bit to get a chance uh, to talk with you and uh, get some of your ideas just straight from the source. Okay, cool thanks. Yep. Um, so, uh, why don't we start off by maybe giving us a bit on your background and how you became interested in health?
1: Sure. So, my background uh, professionally trained as a as a civil engineer, so as structural engineering. And then uh, due to kind of economic constraints here in Western Canada, I moved into geology and spent a number of years doing uh, geology, oil and gas related geology. And then uh, from there, got more interested in uh, the emerging computer science sector. And so I moved into that area of technology. So my background is really one of a, you know, based in technology and science. And uh, I had no interest in the health sector whatsoever until, um, like so many other people, I ended up getting sick and didn't kind of understand what was happening to me, and uh, just kind of started to investigate it from there.
0: Yeah, you've had some health issues in the past. Um, what, what can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. So I was in generally pretty good health for most of my life, you know, nothing to complain about. Uh, other than kind of in my early 40s, uh, mid-40s, I started to develop a lot of joint pain in my knees, particularly and just body stiffness, and I just kind of assumed, okay, that's just what happens when you get older. Um, then, kind of very surprisingly, um, I was diagnosed with uh, chronic kidney disease in 2006, how
0: and that old, was just...
1: How old were you around then? So I was 46 then, which was you know very surprising, even my nephrologist thought it was, you know very surprising. You're too young to have kidney disease, you don't understand what's going on with you, but you do, and so... Um, you know, I kind of took that in stride, uh, nothing I could do about it. So it was just kind of, it is what it was. It is what it was. And, um, I didn't think at all that you know, I was going to be able to do anything about that. Um, uh, then, so I kind of just went on with that. And then, um, by 2013, I ended up, uh, having, uh, an episode or moved into this, um, state of having... Incredibly bad chronic fatigue, kind of hard to describe, um, and so uh, I was actually forced to quit my job. It just there was just no way I was going to be able to work in that kind of condition. And I kind of assumed that that was kind of the, you know, the early end stage of chronic kidney disease. And I kind of had checked out of the the medical sector just for a very peculiar little reason. Um, <laughs> what and, reason was that, if you don't mind well, sharing? I I did write about it on one of my blog posts. Uh, My nephrologist told me about a study um, that they had conducted with kidney patients. And, you know, I was just floored by what I heard. And I thought, holy smokes, you know, if. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing and I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to have anything to do with you guys and see you later. And so I just decided I'm just going to let nature take its course with me. And, you know, lots of people die from kidney disease. And so, you know, so be it, right? It's not great, but, you know, move on.
0: So the, decided, the doctor basically told you, you know, you have kidney disease and there's really not much you can do about it. Correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that is correct. So I was actually, you know, told, I was given kind of a time frame to kind of expect, uh, uh, how things would progress and decline, and there's nothing you can do about it, and uh, it's terminal. And so, what was that timeline? Well, the timeline was about uh, kind of you know it, it was going to vary, of course. It wasn't really specific, but a yeah. very rigorous amount of uh, testing that they had done and determined based on my uh, increasing rates of. Protein loss in my kidneys that it was probably somewhere between three and five years. And uh, but he told me to expect to be on dialysis within, I think he said, two or three years, and then two years on dialysis, and then you know, that's pretty much the end game after that.
0: So you're you're pretty much 46 years old, and they're telling you, you know, you probably aren't going to make it past 51 or so.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you know what? Uh, I wasn't. It's kind of strange. You know, that's of course that's bad news, but it wasn't too kind of upset by it you know like you know it's kind of strange thing to say but that is a little strange well you know lots the way i kind of look at it lots of kids get kidney disease and other chronic diseases so i figured okay i've gone this far pretty healthy life all along and you know this is really bad news but wasn't at all feeling sorry for myself this you know this happens in life right yeah so um but based on some of the other information that he gave me uh just kind of Incidentally, I decided I'm not going to have anything to do with these guys, and uh, basically, I kind of checked out of the medical sector and didn't even didn't even bother going back for follow up checkups or anything else and uh, then and so
0: so how how like, did you then make your way from this point of being like, you know I'm checking out of the medical sector, I'm not going to listen to them anymore. How did you then get to this potential discovery you know about vitamin a
1: sure <laughs> so wasn't uh, I guess I was really more upset with the nephrologist and the studies that they were doing. I wasn't you know I, I wasn't anti medical sector or anything else or anti doctor. I still had my my GP and had a good relationship with him. You know, gone for my regular checkups and so everything was you know it was just you know I was I wasn't going to treat myself or attempt to you know to follow any of their treatment advice for kidney disease or go on dialysis. So that's kind of that part of it. Gotcha. But uh, so in 2013, I had encountered, um, the fall of 2013, encountered this chronic uh, severe um, fatigue and uh, kind of was unable to work and went along, you know, with that for about, um, uh, I guess about four or five months. And then... um, very incidentally, um, you know, started to try to, you know, improve my overall health by eating healthy, and so I really kind of ramped up on my, quote, you know, healthy foods, and ended up getting sicker and sicker. And what happened was, uh, was really kind of funny. Uh, one evening, my wife made this plate of, uh, or this dish of stewed potato- uh, tomatoes, and I had an entire plate. It wasn't really that much, but you know, ten or twelve ounces of. These stewed tomatoes, and I had no no eczema, no rash before that. I, my skin was starting to develop this little kind of grainy texture to it, almost like these little grains of sand underneath my skin. i was getting a little bumpy, but not a rash, not a not you know nothing severe. So the morning after that, uh, when I got up, I had absolute head to toe um, massive rash, which which I thought was just a rash. Wow. And. Took me a few days to get in to see my my GP, my general practitioner, and then once I got in to see him, um, you know, very carefully with along with another doctor, I was diagnosed with adult eczema, or eczema as we pronounce it here in Canada. And he told me, "Okay, you're going to have this for you, you know, the rest of your life, and it's only going to get worse." And here i will give you some steroid creams to t- deal with it, which was a little bit ridiculous because it's a little tiny tube of steroid cream and this rash is covering me from head to toe. Wow. I just thought, That's ridiculous. But, um, at that time I said to him, I said, look at, you know, this is obviously a poisoning because, uh, you know, I ate these tomatoes and you know, the morning after I get this big rash and he said, nah, you know, that's, that's a nice idea, but that's not the case. You've this autoimmune disease. And I had no idea about autoimmune diseases or anything else at that point in time. And so, um, he sent me home and, uh, so at that time, what I did was, like any what anyone else would do, is say, "Well, I, I need to know more about this eczema because I have no idea what the hell this is about." And I just got on uh, the internet, started you know searching up you know what other people are doing for trying to treat it or trying to you know kind of ease the symptoms of it, because it is a pretty brutal, nasty condition if you haven't experienced it. Uh, so, from, so just
0: to sum up, basically, you went sure. to the doctor. They diagnose you with autoimmune eczema. And right. you're thinking it's coming from these tomatoes. They're saying no, and they're giving you a little tube of cream to treat it. But they didn't really give you any other options, did they?
1: No, they didn't. And uh kind of follow up with anyway. So um what I did from there was uh started looking at, you know, just getting more information about this new disease. And um uh, one of the things that caught my attention right away was you know, all these forums and even the official websites like the American IEMS Association one in like New Zealand or Australia they're all talking about trigger foods. So you have to find your trigger foods that, you know, flare up your condition. And I thought, well that's really strange because I was just told that this is an autoimmune disease and now I have to look out for these trigger foods and thought, that just doesn't uh, square with me. Why is it trigger foods? That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, that's pretty peculiar. Uh, and then what I did was, uh, um, one of the trigger foods that almost everybody talked about, um, you know, both on forums and official medical websites was, was the correlation between milk and eczema. So it's clearly one of the trigger foods and a lot of people kind of identify it with making their condition get worse. And so I kind of thought, well, what the hell's in milk? How could that be? And I kind of, Leading up to that uh, state in my health, and where the decline of my health, I had actually ramped up on drinking a lot of milk thinking it was going to be beneficial to me. Oh, so here I'm thinking, okay, here I've just the last you know four or five months drank in a lot more milk than I've ever had before and now I have this eczema condition and this is one of the trigger foods. So I thought, well, hold on, maybe this isn't just a trigger food. Maybe this is a food that actually causes this. Uh, which I know was pretty strange because if you go to the uh, American Medical Association website, they actually have a statement there that says, food does not cause disease and food cannot be used to treat disease. Only a drug can be used to treat a disease. So it wasn't quite buying that. But then what I did was um, I said, well, what's common about all these trigger foods? Like there's, you know, four or five of them. The big ones, um, you know, tomatoes, milk, dairy, cheese, fish, eggs, Uh, peanut butter and so I I went to I think it was the U.S. Department of Agriculture database I got a list of all the nutritional components that are in each one of these foods and it's actually maybe you know 200 compounds kind of per food I put them into a database and I said what's common about these foods and the retinoids, you know were kind of the one of the common components that span these trigger foods with the exception of peanut butter I thought well that's really interesting And from there, uh, the next step for me was to say, okay, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about vitamin A. And so uh, I went to investigate, you know, is it possible to get too much vitamin A? And sure enough, it is. And there's a huge, long list of symptoms that can develop if you get too much vitamin A. And I had a really pretty good match between my own personal symptoms and list of symptoms for vitamin A toxicity. And so um, at that point in time, I said, well, you know, this is possible. I knew it was really, you know, way out in left field. and it's probably ridiculous, but I thought, well, there's a slight possibility that my condition, my new autoimmune disease is just, I've just gotten too much vitamin A. And so I decided at that point in time that I would just kind of eliminate it from my diet. uh, And that's what I did. So, uh, so this is
0: it's this is pretty amazing. I mean, you you basically just look at all these foods that are the trigger foods, and then you just throw them in a database and say, just very simplistically, you know, what what is common about all these foods? And You say, oh, vitamin A, and and from there you're kind of running with that.
1: Yeah, uh, that's right. So the total time, you know, I said, um, from I, I think I came home from my doctor kind of by noon, and by four o'clock, you know, I come to that possibility, you know, because so. Which is so ridiculous, like, you know, four hours of investigation, I've come up with this crazy theory. <laughs> um, and I, I knew it was crazy, and I thought, it's just so ridiculous. Uh, it, anyway, It, so it I,
0: definitely does sound crazy on the front, but, you know, just from my investigations, looking at, at health discoveries, sometimes things are found in a very simplistic way, just like this. It's like you cut through all the BS around whatever the issue is, and you just go, oh, look, you know, one plus one equals two. So, I mean, I think that's that's pretty amazing. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so that's what happened. Uh, so from there, I decided, okay, I'm just going to cut out, you know, vitamin A. And I found out, well, that's incredibly difficult to do because it's in nearly every food. It's just so amazing to me that this the so-called essential vitamin that's being supplemented in our foods is actually in so many of our foods already. So why are we supplementing? That's whatever. It's kind of a question going through my head. And so uh, for the next three weeks, um, I did absolutely no other research or investigation. I just said, I'm just going to go on this ridiculous diet and see if anything comes of it. And it was just a long shot and you know after one week nothing after two weeks nothing after three weeks nothing uh no improvement my condition didn't get any better um but of course uh at that time i'd also experienced kind of really from the fall of 2013 up until this time kind of early 2014 i had you know really uh quite intense body-wide inflammation like in in, unless you've experienced it, it's hard to kind of describe but um, uh, so just kind of inflamed everywhere. Gotcha. Um, so uh, then what happened was really quite interesting because I was so close to giving up. It was just so, on a, um, you know, a coin toss kind of decision. You know, should I continue with this ridiculous diet or should I stick with it? And I said, oh, I'll stick with it for a few more days. Then what happened was um, over a period of about three days, uh, three nights, um, my symptoms started to rapidly change. Improve. Uh, It was quite remarkable because I had uh, joint stiffness and body stiffness for about ten years. Uh, Nothing really too severe, but quite noticeable. Um, And so, in that three-day period, that joint pain and body stiffness evaporated completely, went away. Uh, It's never come back. Uh, Uh My thinking clarity, you know, vastly improved, Um, and. my chronic fatigue had lifted, you know, completely. It was just like, almost like recovering from a flu kind of sun, uh, Wow, it's like you
0: situation. came back to life, really.
1: Yeah, so, uh, uh, but I still had the eczema. Like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't completely cured by any means in that three-week period, but it, it definitely had a big improvement in my health. Uh, and it's really kind of strange because, you know, in the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm really feeling, you know, relatively speaking, like really good and really quite refreshed. And my chronic fatigue is lifted. And I just said to myself, what the hell was that? Like, you know, that straight? And it's like, you know, instantly within a, you know, within a second, uh, the word Alzheimer's popped into my head. I thought, wow, that's, you know, where did that come from? I hadn't been thinking about that. I hadn't, you know, I had no friends with that condition. I knew nobody that condition. I mean, I'm just kind of crazy.
0: Um, so before, before we go any further, let's like yeah. take a step back to when you were doing this research about vitamin A. And one of the interesting things you mentioned in your second book is you kind of give a timeline of how vitamin A uh, was discovered to be a vitamin. Can you kind of walk us through that story and how, you know, vitamin A became a vitamin in the first place?
1: Sure. Uh, so I, yeah, I've got those three uh, eBooks. The first one is me kind of documenting this kind of discovery process, but when I was writing the first one, I was fully believing that yes, it's a vitamin, we've just gotten too much of it, and I personally have overdone it potentially, and that's that. Uh, but then from there, I decided, well, I need to find out how it was actually determined that this, uh, this substance is a vitamin at all. So I went to investigate that, and it was really quite surprising what I found. And that's really kind of the focus of my 2nd uh, ebook was this discovery process. So what happens is in the late 1800s, kind of at the tail end of the germ theory of disease, uh, you know, with better microscopes and processes, they had found, you know, microbes that cause diseases and there's this uh, Koch's postulates that kind of Help you know scientists determine if a certain microbe is causing a disease. Yeah. And, but there's this, another group of diseases that didn't fit that because there was no microbes. And so these would be diseases like um, you know, diabetes and eczema and um, asthma and these types of things. And so there's different researchers kind of around the world, you know, hypothesizing about what could be causing these other diseases if they're clearly not caused by a microbe. And there was a group of people that were thinking, um, you know, this was caused by some unforeseen toxin that we don't know about. But there's another kind of more powerful group that saying, no, these diseases are caused by a deficiency. And we just don't know what that deficiency is. And so um, a group of researchers uh, in Germany were looking at this. And one fellow uh, really kind of stands out. His name was Wilhelm Stepp from Germany. And I think in 1912, 1913. He runs a series of experiments trying to isolate, you know, some fat-soluble component that uh, would be responsible for these diseases or, you know, okay. um, disease condition in animals. And he's, his, he's running these studies on mice. But I found uh, now, Steph is not given the credit for discovering vitamin A. He kind of he goes through a series of experiments, actually, really quite well thought-out experiments, and over a period of years. He's trying to isolate down what you know what is in uh, fat soluble uh, um, or what's in fats that are so essential for the okay. survival of animals, and he's goes through this process of trying to isolate it out. He, he fails. Uh, he kind of gives up. But so at the same time in the United States, there is another group of researchers, and uh, really kind of headed up by a guy named Elmer McCullum, and he at the same time kind of. 1912, 1913, he's running his own animal experiments. But there's actually kind of an interesting connection between the STEP experiments and the McCollum experiments. And that's kind of uh, what I got suspicious about was these experiments were using casein as a protein source in the diet. Okay. And what happened in uh, and so kind of throughout the series of experiments used to identify vitamin A as a vitamin, they use casein in the diet as um. You know, their source of protein, but what they know is that casein uh, could have vitamin A in it, and it could have you know fat components in it. So they go through this incredible process of sterilizing and extracting the casein, or extracting all the fat out of the casein with uh, solvents, you know, particularly ether and alcohol. Okay, and they heat it and they aerate it, and they really kind of you know go to town on you know sterilizing this casein using these, these diets. And uh, and then kind of what happened. So I think 1913 is probably pretty conclusive that there's something in, um, in the fat that's essential in the diet. And it was kind of, you know, I guess proposed at that time that this would be vitamin A. Then there's a bit of a break in the research, probably due to the First World War, so in uh, 1914 to 1918. And then there's kind of a resurgence of the uh, research in the early 1920s, 1923. Uh, And there's another study uh, done by uh, Robot. All right, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, yep, go ahead. Okay, so uh, just kind of repeat myself just a little bit. So you got Wilhelm Stepp in 1912 13 doing his experiments on trying to isolate a fat soluble factor in his animals. The interesting thing about the Stepp experiments is that he's routinely uh, killing his animals within three weeks, almost across the board. Okay. but what's even more interesting is he's killing his animals proportional to the heating time of the casein so the more he heats and the longer he heats the casein the more deadly his diet is and so he doesn't understand that and he gets perplexed by that and i think it's kind of one of the factors why he kind of sort of i'm going to say gives up but he does go on and do some follow-on research but nevertheless now kind of tragically McCollum and the americans follow along with that process. They use casein and they heat it and you know, they feed it to the animal saying this is a safe source of protein. Uh, and likewise, kind of in most of the follow-up studies, they they're using casein, heated casein, usually in alcohol, and uh, their animals die.
0: So so just to sum it up, they're basically looking for some kind of fat-soluble thing. They don't know what it is yet, and they're feeding this diet to mice or rats, and they're using casein as the protein source, but they're heating it quite a bit, and they're finding, although they may might not be realizing it, that the more they heat this casein, the faster these rats die.
1: Yes. Now, it's interesting about uh, Stepp's experiments. He doesn't really... You know, he's a good scientist and he documents his procedures and outcomes, but nowhere does he actually make that statement that he says, you know, but if you read his results, you can actually see it. Um, Now, so Step was using mice and McCollum was using rats. And So in the McCollum experiments, his animals are usually dying in about eight to 10 weeks and other follow-on experiments, these animals die in about eight to 10 weeks. So you could say... Well, you know, the rat is a is a harder, hardier animal, and the mice were dying sooner just because they're a little bit weaker. But still, something doesn't add up right away there for me because why would it be proportional to the heating time of the casein to the you know the, the death rate of these animals? So something didn't fit quite right there for me. The second thing that was really quite uh, shocking to me or surprising uh, is all of the symptoms that the Produced in these experiments um, which are kind of catastrophic head to toe destruction of these animals that they attribute to vitamin A deficiency are actually the perfect textbook description of vitamin A toxicity so
0: <laughs> interesting
1: gonna, yeah how how do we you know square these two things it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. uh, well it you know does't take long for me to kind of uh, Kind of start you know connecting the dots on it. you know, how could this be? Because uh, I just know from personal experience you can practically not starve a rat to death in three weeks and never mind uh, have this catastrophic head-to-toe destruction. So something, you know, something was clearly wrong with these experiments. And nobody's gone back in the medical science to try to investigate this. It's just it's just been accepted. Yes, vitamin A deficiency has been proven in these experiments. Uh, Particularly, uh, the Wolbach and Hall study kind of conclusively seals the deal. You know, the science is done, settled, and let's move on.
0: So they, uh, they concluded from this, the rats dying, that they have a deficiency of vitamin A, but you're saying like rats are very hardy animals. You know, they could, they can live, they can starve for quite a while before succumbing to, to death just from starvation. So the fact yeah. that they were dying so quickly just doesn't make sense unless they were being given something. And what you're saying is what they were probably given was large doses of, of vitamin A or
1: it's worse. <laughs> it's worse. All right. Uh, so here's, here's, here's the detail. And here's the detail that these scientists in the early 1920s would not and could not have known about is there's multiple forms of vitamin A. So, you know, when someone says vitamin A, it's really an umbrella term that refers to any molecule that has a vitamin A activity uh, component to it. But, uh, kind of, you know, the big ones are what's called retinol and, uh, the beta carotene precursors that you would have in plants. But then what happens is uh, the active form was considered the active form of vitamin A is called, um, retinoic acid, or in the early research kind of in 1960s, it would refer to this as vitamin A acid. And so vitamin A acid, the active form of vitamin A is actually incredibly toxic, but it's still believed to be a vitamin. So, um, but the, the interesting detail, uh, which I've yet to kind of scientifically absolutely prove, but I'm working on it, is the conversion process from vitamin A into retinoic acid or vitamin A acid only requires heat and oxidization. So the process of them heating the heck out of the casein would have taken the vitamin A in that casein, converted it into retinoic acid, And the retinoic acid is what killed these animals so quickly. So even if they had given these animals vitamin A, um, they wouldn't have died that quickly because, you know, like humans, we are well adapted to consume a reasonable amount of vitamin A. Uh, So those animals shouldn't have died that quickly, especially steps animals dying in three weeks. So they had to, in my estimation, they had to have been poisoned to death. And the most likely poison is vitamin A acid because the diets are incredibly restrictive. There's very little in these diets. So just kind of through a process of elimination, say, okay, what could have possibly poisoned these animals to death like this so quickly? So then, you know, use more modern uh, scientific literature about the symptoms and toxicology of uh, retinoic acid or vitamin A acid, and it's a perfect match. So now we have a perfect match on what could have uh, Hmm. caused all of these symptoms, vitamin A acid. So my personal theory is that these experiments were botched, and uh, they actually ended up poisoning the animals to death by heating up the casein in the way that they did. Okay, so...
0: So basically, if if you you know if somebody's listening to this and you've heard of vitamin A, they're talking about retinol, and there's also beta carotene, which is you know found yeah. in carrots. It's that orange color, yellow colorish uh, kind of Lots precursor of- to vitamin A, is what you're saying. Right. And yeah. what they were doing is they were heating retinol to create it to to make it into retinoic acid. To and this it. has so
1: yeah. So uh, in in Stepp's case, what he was trying to do is he was trying to remove any fat soluble. Uh, any fat from the diet, In his strategy, he would, you know, progressively start adding back, you know, these fat soluble components to try to isolate it down into the one that would sustain life. He didn't get that far because his animals just died. Hmm. Uh, the other studies uh, kind of took a bit of a different approach that said, okay, we're going we're to create a diet that has no vitamin A in it and just see what happens to these animals. And so a little bit of a difference in those two approaches, but uh, the end result was the same, you know, very quick catastrophic death of, of these animals, which um, uh, doesn't make any sense to me, but, uh, you know, that's kind of where it is.
0: Gotcha. So to to kind of get back to your story, um, so you've, you've kind of done this research, you figured out, you know, vitamin A is this main factor since then you've published a post, I think marking five years on a zero vitamin A diet. Can can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what are the, what are the things you've seen in that journey? What are the things that have been solved in your health? Uh, just kind of give us a little
1: summation of that. Sure. Um, so I've completely turned around my health, I guess. Uh, so as far as I know, I've recovered from chronic kidney disease. I have no sign of that. Uh, I've recovered from my adult eczema, which I was told I'd have for the rest of my days. Uh, I don't have that. Uh, so I'm actually in really good health. Complete major U-turn on my health from where I was and, uh, five uh, years made it,
0: ago. You made it past 51, correct?
1: No. Uh, yeah. Yes, way, way, way past 51. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be 60 uh, next spring. So uh, okay. I, I seem to be doing okay. Um, and just all kinds of, you know, just everything about my health is, you know, vastly improved over that five-year period. Uh, so right now, I think I'm in pretty good health. And so what I did uh, was, I thought, okay, this is a really interesting experience. And I wrote that first e-book trying to get some other people interested in this topic. And it's really trying to uh, see if other people would, you know, take on this crazy experiment and apply it to themselves and just report the results. And so very slowly that's been happening. Um, You know, I have a few early adopters and now it's getting a lot more interest lately. Um, What
0: what does the diet entail,
1: if you don't mind uh, just detailing that real quick? Sure. Well, my diet is extreme and I think I should make a, 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 a distinction here. The purpose of my diet right now is to prove a scientific point. So, I could, I'm I'm quite sure of it, I could start introducing uh, vitamin A foods back into my diet, and I think I'd be perfectly fine. So, um, but I'm gonna, I'm personally sticking to a diet that I think has nearly zero vitamin A to prove a scientific point. But so, my personal diet should not be what other people do. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm saying it's like, all right. I have a specific reason for doing this crazy diet. But my diet is uh, white rice, sometimes brown rice, uh, beef, and black beans, and water and salt.
0: Just and those it. those five things. Yeah. I mean, that's...
1: Uh, I do sometimes I'll have... Yeah, pretty much. Uh, sometimes I'll have an apple every now and then. I'll peel the apple to get down to the white core, so I don't want to eat the red skin. So I'm very, very careful about you know never knowingly consuming any vitamin A. But there still be traces of vitamin A in the beef that I consume. So it's not not absolutely scientifically zero, but it's close enough for my purpose.
0: Have you Have uh, you ever cheated on this diet in the last five years?
1: Not deliberately. Uh, no, I, I'm really. Uh, of this uh, so-called vitamin being a toxin, and uh, I don't want to introduce it into my own situation. Um, and I, I'm, try- I'm trying really hard to get a blood test that says 0.0 uh, vitamin A levels in my blood serum. And so you know, I want to achieve that. I want to achieve that and then go for another five years and just kind of prove a point. Okay, here, a human can go for you know, five or 10 years with no vitamin A, it's not a vitamin. It's kind of what my ultimate goal is.
0: Yeah, that that would be pretty amazing. I mean, this uh, are there social repercussions? I mean, what did, what did your wife say when, when this was, you know, the plan?
1: Uh, she was, of course, really skeptical. We have, you know, family members that are in, uh, in healthcare, so they were really dubious. It's quite interesting because they're kind of coming around. Uh, my wife is just kind of happy that I'm, you know, back working, you know, bringing home a paycheck. And she's, you know, she's not really too interested in the kind of scientific aspect of this or the, you know, the repercussions of it scientifically. Um, you know, for us, we can still go out to restaurants. I'll order a steak and you we know, go to a particular restaurant that usually has rice. So I'll order steak and rice and I'm fine. Uh, just to make sure that there's no you know, butter or anything else with that. Uh, so it, I don't find it too restrictive, um, kind of socially.
0: Okay. That, that's awesome. So uh, this this theory that basically vitamin A you know is a toxin there's obviously like you said when you first thought of it you thought wow this is crazy and and so there's a lot of people out there you know who say you know this is this is nuts it gets a lot of criticism And, you know, the health industry is really full of people saying, you know, this one thing or this one practice is the root of all evil, you know, whether that's glyphosate or mercury or whatever it is. Yeah. What what do you, like, what would you say to those kind of criticisms that, you know, this might be a bit of confirmation bias or something like that with vitamin A?
1: Well, uh, this is a big topic. Um, This is kind of where I might ramble on a bit. Um, You know, this is definitely multifactorial. So this isn't one thing. Um this is kind of one of, you know many things, and there's kind of, you know, lots of actors here. Um, I think the big point that I'm trying to prove that the very determination of this particular molecule being a vitamin is not a vitamin. And there's probably at least a hundred studies uh, documenting, proving, you know, without any doubt that vitamin A is a serious toxin. On the flip side, there's probably, I think, uh, so again, one meta-analysis, actually, about 4,000 studies that's saying yes, vitamin A is beneficial to human health, and here are all the reasons. Okay. So I'm that de- definitely kind of you know going against the, the status quo, but not entirely, because there's lots of research saying this is a toxin. So the general theory in medical science is you know, this is only a toxin at a high dose. If you get too much of it, you know, you'll fall into these disease conditions. Um, so not really. Then I in the context of it being multifactorial, uh, something you mentioned, glyphosate, it's probably a good example. Other examples, so anything that compromises your liver function or compromises your body's ability to deal with vitamin A uh, is going to be a factor. Okay. And so, one of the things that I've talked about a lot in my ebooks was about you know, the toxicity side of vitamin A. But there's the opposite side of that, and that's the detoxification process. So, your body will go through a, a natural process of Processing and detoxifying uh, vitamin A, and of course you need enzymes and other components to do that. So yes, we're probably overdoing it on the toxicity side, but we could be depleting the enzymes that are needed on the detoxification side too. So it's not it's not black and white. Um, gotcha.
0: So you're basically saying maybe vitamin A is making the detoxification of other chemicals or other, you know, heavy metals or whatever, uh, basically more yeah. difficult.
1: And conversely, so these other things are making the detoxification of vitamin A more difficult. So uh, you need to be careful about, you know, kind of all toxins. So, but this is a big one. I I think this is a big one. And the reason that it's such a big one, when I say this one, vitamin A is a big one because it's been supplemented into our foods all based on the notion of this is an essential vitamin. And so all of a sudden, kind of from the 1970s, Till now, we have this exponential growth rate in disease in North America, and actually through a lot of the world. And um, so my uh, uh, hypothesis is that the bulk of this is actually caused by vitamin A toxicity. And you kind of really get down into the details of it. You know, you get down into the microbiology aspects of it. uh, You know, this, this just fits really, really well, because... Vitamin A will kind of attack the basal membrane or the stem cells through, throughout the body, head to toe, and will you know has the potential of causing all of these conditions. So you know we have means, motive, and opportunity here. Uh, so yeah, and all right, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I guess okay. Uh,
0: yeah, that, that's, that's a great explanation. Um, so you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you have these people kind of testing out uh, the diet with you. And I know your blog, it has a forum section where people can share their stories of trying this diet. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about the experiences uh, that people are having? Because I think, I think most people who are trying this diet are really curious about the long-term potential risks and, and benefits Um, especially given that a lot of people who try this diet initially have a lot of success.
1: Yes. Uh, Okay, so this is another kind of, you know, big discussion. Uh, So uh, the results are a bit all over the map. So there's no real conclusive, you know, hey, you know, we're all getting better really quickly. That's not happening. Uh, So the general pattern is that people experience uh, significant improvement in their health for uh, the initial period, maybe you know, three weeks to two months, they seem to get uh, significantly improved. And then some people actually regress in, and become significantly worse and probably even worse off than where they started from. And very surprisingly, some people sail right through that and they don't have that, that phase and uh, their health does generally get better. Um so, uh, you know, these are all anecdotes, of course, but I have some uh, mothers who've contacted me saying, you know what, I've recovered my you know, young child from eczema, which is great. Um, I've had other kind of young men kind of in their mid-20s and 30s saying, hey, you know, I've you know, been on this diet for three to six months or, or a year and I've recovered my eczema, which is great. Um and they're not reporting this, this condition of, you know, slipping backwards, but some people are slipping backwards. Uh, so it's not, uh, it's not, it's not all positive. Um, gotcha. But the general trend is over the long term, people are recovering their health, uh, which I think is quite interesting. Um, and lots of people are coming from different backgrounds, but kind of one kind of, Common theme in the background is that most of these people were supplementing with vitamin A from one source or the other. So very few people are coming and saying, "You know what? I've been living on a pretty normal, you know, North American diet, and all of a sudden I'm sick, and I'm going to apply this diet." Some, but for the most part, I'm going to say eighty percent of the people are coming from uh, a background of supplementation.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. That that's really interesting. So if you could kind of synthesize you know, all the forum posts and the private emails, is there any numbers you can kind of put on it? Like, you know, maybe 50-50 or, you know, uh, 40% of the people get better, 60%, I mean, anything like that?
1: Sure. Um, my guesstimate is that um, 80% of the people are getting better uh, over the long long term. I would say 20% of the people end up getting worse, but I think it's over the short term. Yet to be confirmed, but there are people that have gone through what someone has termed this detox phase. So people adopt the diet, they see it an improvement in their health for the first, let's say, two months. And then they kind of fall off a cliff and get into a state of worse health. And then, if they you know stick with that, you know they'll slowly kind of crawl out of that phase and eventually you know start to recover their health. Um, so. Okay, And I think there's, there's a few others that have contacted me that have started the diet. I think we've just dropped off. It's, it's either you know, not working for them or they can't stick with it or I, I don't know. But um, uh, the other thing kind of – so one of the most kind of interesting things for me is um, kind of the universal you know, 80% of people that are reporting uh, are stating that their mental clarity has improved. Uh, the sense of well-being and calmness uh, has improved. Um, you know, just generally feeling happier. Uh, so there's definitely some uh, cognitive improvement that a lot of people are experiencing. And it's so interesting to me because there's teenagers that are reporting that there's people that are in their fifties and a few people in their you know seventies. Um, wow. So that's that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is the weight loss. So a lot of people are reporting you know substantial weight loss. I think one fellow reported substantial weight gain, but uh, oh. I think he was kind of zooming his uh, his sugar intake, but um, so weight loss is pretty darn interesting, and we're talking, you know, significant amounts of weight loss in relatively short periods of time.
0: Yeah, do you want to maybe give just like a couple minutes on, on why, because you've written about the obesity connection with vitamin A, do you want to just give a little yeah. bit on that?
1: Sure. And of course, all of this is just, you know, my own personal theory, I guess, backed up with, you know, some, you know, studies that support these theories. Uh, so the general theory that I have is that, one, vitamin A, uh, you know, especially the retinal gas form of the vitamin A, but vitamin A itself is, uh, I think, best described as a potential toxin. So, you know, I don't want to kind of ring the alarm bell saying, oh my God, you know, vitamin A is a toxin, because humans have a big detoxification organ our liver we can deal with this on a reasonable basis and nobody should panic or be concerned and uh you know it's like even if this was confirmed you know people are still going to be eating vitamin a it's been with us forever like for you know yeah forever for millions of years you know plants love this molecule we've just got too much of it so that's kind of that but so what happens is uh, the real toxicity of vitamin A is when it comes in contact with stem cells. And stem cells are these base cells that all other cells kind of you know originate from the human body. And the stem cells are used to kind of maintain your tissue structures. But vitamin A is very toxic to stem cells. It drives them into this perverse state of rapid mitosis and uh, replication. So my theory is uh, that that's... Same effect is actually being applied to the stem cells of the adipose tissues. And kind of a sub-theory to that is that the body is naturally storing away more fat to protect your basal membrane from attack from the vitamin A molecule. So this actually would be, if it proves to be true, it would be you know incredibly brilliant by the body to kind of build this isolation buffer between your basal membrane and the source of vitamin A circulating in. in In serum, saying, "Oh, you know what? Here's this toxic substance. We're going to build this barrier between those stem cells and this toxic substance, and that barrier is the accumulation of adipose fat." Um, But anyway, so people are dropping, uh, you know, significant amounts of weight by just eliminating this vitamin by their from their diet, and actually consuming large amounts of calories. There's people that are saying, you know, they're still on big calorie intake dies and they're losing weight.
0: Yeah, that that was really interesting that I, you know, read about people are consuming 3,000 calories, even more. And, you know, they're eating mashed potatoes or rice and meat and beans. And so that's not really falling into the categories that are popular today of like low carbohydrates or, or high carbohydrates yeah. or anything like that. So I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yeah. And that's a bit of a, you know, a point I wouldn't mind commenting on. I think, so what's happened, kind of my view is, you know, everybody's pretty much disappointed by the results of mainstream medicine, which are, you know, there's nothing that they're going to offer you for these chronic diseases, nothing, nothing that's going to cure them anyway. And so you've got this kind of um, grassroots, um, uh, citizen-driven research going on in nutrition and diet and medicine. And it's so unfortunate because everyone's kind of, you know, in these camps, but they're focusing on the macronutrients, you know, like you know, carbohydrates or protein or starches or you know, sugar and everyone's kinda of got their favorite enemy or the thing that they're trying to promote. And I'm like, hold on, like no, it's not about the macronutrients, it's about the molecule. So let's go down to any molecule that could be responsible for these conditions. And you can get that molecule from plant sources or from animal sources. So, you know, that's that's my rant on that point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, So, in a recent blog post of yours, you talked a little bit about the connection between vitamin A and amyloid plaques. Right. And and you said, you know, the skin, the kidneys, all these other organs can heal. Um, But, you know, my question is... Can the brain heal? And and maybe can you go over that a bit? Is there a way to reverse brain aging once, uh, you know, vitamin A has damaged the brain? Theoretically, obviously.
1: Yeah, obviously, theoretically, I I don't know. But I think it's possible uh, for uh, multiple reasons. One is uh, start looking at the, the, you know, just kind of start looking at all the symptoms, like all the comorbidities with autism. You know, autism comes with eczema, it comes with spontaneous bone fractures, loss of speech and language skills, it comes with uh, inflamed uh, GI tract, um, You know, it comes with diabetes. And so all these comorbidities that come with autism, which we identify in young children, children you know, three years of age or less. Then the other end of the age spectrum, we have uh, dementia and uh, Alzheimer's, of course. It's so fascinating to me because both these diseases in the 1930s were unheard of, like literally, you know, almost unheard of. I think yeah. autism was first first diagnosed in the 1930s. Alzheimer's in 1906, and when it was diagnosed, first diagnosed, it was an absolute anomaly. Like this is, you know, this one person has lost her cognitive function at age, whatever it was, 70 or something, and that's the the genesis of the identification of this disease. And so interesting, 1970, both of these diseases, both autism and Alzheimer's, had an incidence rate of about one in 10,000. Maybe it was one in Uh, 100,000. Now, today, today we're looking at about one in 40, one in 48 for autism. And in the adults age 85 group, we're looking at one in two. So we've seen this massive exponential growth rate in both these conditions. Both these conditions have the same comorbidities. Their only difference is the age groups that they're in. Okay, but so back to answering your question, um, there are lots of mothers that have actually recovered their autistic children on a diet. Now, this completely flies in the face of modern medical science because they want everybody to believe that autism is a genetic condition, yeah. and there's been a massive amount of research. Uh, trying to implicate genetics in Alzheimer's, too. But it's completely like a, a 10-year-old can see that you cannot have an 800-fold increase in these diseases since 1970 it to be a genetic condition. It's just ridiculous. So clearly, it's an environmental uh, condition. But to answer your question, so you have, I think, really good clinical evidence in these mothers that have recovered their children from autism on a diet. So I think the brain can recover. I do not know... You know how fast it's going to happen, uh, or if it's possible in a in a senior that's 85 years old. But I'm hopeful. Uh, Nobody has reported that as happening yet on this diet but i'm
0: hopeful okay what what do you think about the uh the glyphosate connection because i know garrett smith he's i think you know him he's a he's a big proponent of the the low vitamin a diet online and he puts a lot of the blame for all this uh on glyphosate basically saying you know it, it and i know you mentioned a little bit earlier but what do you think about that you know i mean if, if glyphosate wasn't in the picture would this all just be like hey vitamin a is fine
1: no, I don't think vitamin A would be fine. Um, I think it would still be a huge problem. I think it's I think it's exasperating the problem. I haven't really looked into glyphosate too much, um, so I think Garrett's probably right. Um, I, I don't, you know, vitamin A toxicity does not at all need glyphosate to activate itself because we've got lots of lots of research from the nineteen twenties and thirties and well before that, well before the introduction of glyphosate that, you know. You can get into these conditions on a vitamin A toxicity uh, kind of scenario, but I think he's right. and I think he's he's you know gli- the glyphosate thing is so so important, uh, kind of outside of this discussion. But you know, people should you know you know as citizens, we should not put up with this crap in our food. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um so I know we only got about 10 minutes here so I just want to get a few more questions in um there's a doctor Dr Coimbra who's down in South America I believe treating people with MS uh with high doses of vitamin D uh, so that's another like you know somebody who's focusing on on autoimmune disease would you right. would you say this diet's kind of a variation on that do you think they're connected in any way
1: well, I think they are connected because um, the same cellular receptor that binds with vitamin A binds for vitamin D. So if you have uh, you know sufficient amount of vitamin D, an antagonist to vitamin A it would, would block the vitamin A from getting into the cell and causing its damage. And uh, But that's pretty much all I really know about it. I haven't really kind of focused on vitamin D and not concerned so much about vitamin D because the body produces it naturally um but it's not an antidote to vitamin a it might it might be a sensible thing to take when you go on a low vitamin a diet okay but uh, um i i don't know i'm not i'm not an expert on it
0: gotcha gotcha well that's interesting that that vitamin d could potentially block you know vitamin a
1: yeah that's well documented that's that's not speculation that's 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 a fact
0: Okay, cool. So is there anything, um, you know, if somebody decides to do this, if they have autoimmune disease, or maybe they've been uh, eating a bunch of liver or supplementing retinol, if they decide to do this, obviously, the avoidance of vitamin A is the main aspect. But are there proactive things? Are there drugs? Are there supplements, uh, you know, that people can do to, I don't know, kind of get along on this journey? Or, you know, what have you heard?
1: No, uh, almost well, certainly no drugs and no supplements. Uh, I know some people have tried vitamin D had with a negative result. Some people have had a positive result. So one of the things that people have to be aware of, and this is actually backed up in studies. When you go down to like a zero intake of vitamin A, what happens is kind of counterintuitively, the body actually starts releasing more vitamin A from the liver and your vitamin A, uh, serum levels will go up. Wow. So, you know, yeah. So it's, it, and that's probably the reason these people, some of these people are going to this detox space and they're getting significantly worse in their, you know, in their state of health. So that's something to be on the lookout for. Um, you know, obviously we need an antidote or some factor that would work as an antidote. We haven't identified that nobody has yet. Um, so there's no magic solution, and and unfortunately, you know this diet is so slow have to, have to see results that you may have to stick with it for a long time. Um, it's, it's not a magic solution. It's this is a long long haul.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so in your kind of ideal world, where where does this lead? Because you know you've been doing five years now without vitamin A. I mean that's pretty amazing. Just on on the front. I mean that that kind of just backs up a lot of what you're saying but where does this research and discovery lead to you know what what kind of changes do you want to see in the world
1: well yeah so what i would love to do is one i'd love to actually prove that vitamin a is not a vitamin and the way to do that is to um disqualify those early experiments and we're actually working on that scientifically uh i am working with some scientific uh academic scientists on this so that's that's some good support uh so that's my first thing is to prove that vitamin a is not a vitamin and then once we have that then you can say okay you know the easiest thing to do would turn off the injection pumps at all the dairy producers like you know pie in the sky that's not going to happen but if i could may wave a magic wand uh you know stop all the supplementation of vitamin a into sugar and msg and uh into the breakfast cereals and flowers, that would be so great. Yeah,
0: didn't didn't you write somewhere that they're putting vitamin A and sugar? What, what was that?
1: They, they do. So in South America, and, you know, kind of, yeah, South America is kind of the Southern Hemisphere. A lot of people don't uh, have milk, you know, probably due to lack of refrigeration. So, um, you know, the powers that be decided to supplement uh, sugar in the Southern Hemisphere. I think there's about 100 countries that that happens in. And so, um, yeah, and so now we have 350 million people with diabetes around the world. I think there's a connection.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So you'd want to see it getting out. Basically, you want a vitamin A out of the food you know, system.
1: Well, any supplemented vitamin A. Uh, and then... We go back to kind of where we were in the 1950s and 60s, and people were really quite healthy, And you know? like it's kind of crazy. We were much healthier back then, uh, kind of on a uh, statistical basis. And uh, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not anti-vitamin A. The body's well-equipped to deal with it. We just shouldn't be supplementing it with it. We shouldn't be overdoing it. And then if you have an autoimmune disease, you go into your doctor, you can say, oh, we know what causes this, and therefore we can properly treat it. That would be great.
0: Gotcha. So you have several books. You have a blog. Do you want to kind of detail uh, where people can find you and where they can read about this?
1: Sure. So my blog is ggeneru.blog. So it's ggeneru.blog. Uh, my 3 ebooks are there. Uh, they're free. And I'm really just trying to you know, spread the word, get more people interested in this with uh, the motivation of trying to get more people to participate in this experiment um yeah that's that's about it All right. uh this this is a side project for me this is not my you know my full-time gig by any means and uh, uh but i'm going to see it through to the end i'm going to you know i'm not going to stop until i get to some sort of conclusion on
0: yeah is there uh, anything coming up for you are there any books coming out anything like that
1: Probably not. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I'm working with some other researchers now to um, kind of definitively prove that these experiments in the early 1900s were, were, were indeed what we suspect they were. Uh, if we can get that, I think that'll be a big deal. Uh, we'll kind of take it from there.
0: Okay. Well, that's yeah. that's pretty much all the questions I have. Is there anything else that maybe I didn't touch on or that you want to just make sure that the audience you know knows about this whole thing? before we sign up yeah
1: yeah if you don't mind i'll take a, just a minute or two to kind of explain something like that. it's really in kind of both my ebooks i was trying to explain this and i don't know if i got it across very well okay um and that is uh you know when i look at this like you know i have no background in medicine or no interest in health in the health sector but when i look at this i look at it just like any other scientific problem you know this is not you know, just because it happens in health doesn't mean that you have to be an expert in health to solve this problem. This is just another problem. And uh, what was so shocking to me was the, the exponential growth rates of these diseases, and they're kind of in lockstep. You take diabetes, um, asthma, you know, autism, Alzheimer's, dementia, heart disease, stroke. You know, it's just exponential growth. Yes. And. Um, so if you read the medical literature, uh, a lot of times they'll say, you know, this is this is clearly reflecting some environmental uh, factor, and almost always they will join that with uh, a genetic predisposition plus environmental factors. So well, we can drop the genetic predisposition, you know, instantly. That's just a distraction. That's nonsense. So, okay, these diseases are caused by the environment. Um, you know, crystal clear. You know, I don't think anybody can legitimately argue these are not environmentally caused diseases. And then, you know, from there I use the, you know, I use the term. Uh, well, let's drop this vagueness of environmental factor because that's that's a million things, and let's just call them, you know, for what they are. They're a poison. So this is a long, long-term poison. This is not something that's gonna poison you in a day or a week. It's gonna take you know decades to poison, but they, these diseases are indeed poisonings. So okay. uh, from there, um, you could say, um, you know, here's this crazy grant guy with this theory about vitamin A. He might be right, <laughs> might be wrong. But Let, let's say he's let's say he's wrong. Let's say I'm wrong about that. And let's say it's glyphosate plus three other things in our environment. I'm kind of like, who cares? Like, who cares what it is? You
0: broke up a little you, bit there. You said yeah. glyphosate plus what?
1: Well, some other factors. You know, it could be. A combination of things. It might not be one
0: thing. Okay. Right? Okay.
1: Now, but my point is, we know that these diseases are poisoning. There's just no question about it. Like I don't know. You can argue, but you know, I, I don't think you can. But uh, you know, scientifically, these are these are poisons. Yeah. So then, the net from that is, okay, how about we reduce our diet to something so basic, something so simple that removes almost all possible toxins, like You know, rice and beef have been proven to be safe for like, you know, rice for, I don't know, 5,000 years in India and China. Beef, yeah, maybe, you know, pluses and minuses. But if you go to a really, really super simple diet that would eliminate environmental toxins as best you can, then you should see a recovery in your health. And whether it's vitamin A or not, you know, doesn't really matter because the ultimate goal is for people to recover their health. So I think if people recognize that these diseases are indeed a poisoning, then go to a diet that is super simple but, but of course, substantial enough to sustain good health, then I think people will recover their health.
0: All right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good summary. <laughs>
1: okay. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, you know, thanks so much for coming on and doing this. Um, this has just been awesome. Uh, you know, a lot of the things you mentioned in the you know call about, uh, having that first few months of, of real, um, you know, benefit where your health is just amazing and then kind of going into a detox, you know, I've, I've experienced all that and I'm, I'm sticking with it as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting journey. Um, so thank you so much.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you. Um,
0: Great. Great. We'll see you. See ya. Bye. I really enjoyed this interview with Grant. I wanted to highlight a few things before signing off. So first, you know, Grant gave some estimated anecdotal stats about people who follow this diet i think about 80 percent of people over the long term get some positive results with maybe 20 percent experiencing some short-term problems and possibly being unable to continue so he also made it very clear that most of the people who are getting results have supplemented with vitamin a in the past so for some uh, this comes from getting involved with western price diets maybe eating a lot of liver And for others, this could come from doing some type of vegan diet, you know, eating a lot of greens and greens powders. Maybe Accutane is a factor, you know, like for me as a kid, or maybe supplemental vitamin A for some other medical reason. Uh, Just in some way, they got vitamin A in higher doses in the past. Now, one thing I wish we touched on more was just how many foods are fortified with vitamin A these days. We mentioned sugar being one in Mexico and South America. Uh, Dairy products are also fortified, and there are programs around the world to give people supplemental vitamin A uh, under the guise of philanthropy. Grant details this in his second book, and it's pretty horrifying. What I really liked was his version for the world of getting rid of all the vitamin A added to our diet. And then, you know, if you have an autoimmune condition, well, we know how to help you. We also didn't touch on it too much, but the other group of people that may be helped by this are people who can't lose weight. So if you've tried low carb or keto or whatever, and you you just can't lose weight, a low vitamin A diet could give some drastic results without you having to lower the amount of calories you are eating. I mean, there are reports online right now of people eating over 3,000 calories per day of meat, rice, and beans and still losing weight. I mean, that's pretty amazing if you ask me, and if you're desperate enough, I guess. But the biggest takeaway from this interview is that there is hope for people with autoimmune conditions. So lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, eczema, all of these may have this common cause of vitamin A overload, and you could get relief by cutting it out. Now, even if it's just a comorbidity like uh, depression, which is much higher in type 1 diabetics, this is an amazing thing. Also, I was astounded when he mentioned that autism and Alzheimer's both had the same comorbidities and exponential rise in our population. Uh, The only thing separating them was the age of onset. I think that deserves a lot more research. So I'm linking to Grant's stuff in the show notes. If this diet seems too restrictive to you, I'm also linking to an article that details a low vitamin A diet that's not as strict as what Grant's doing. Meaning there are some foods like apples, uh, strawberries, cauliflower. Uh, these have small amounts of vitamin A, and they can be included in a vitamin A. Uh, I'm sorry, they can be included in a low vitamin A diet, but you know, not necessarily a no vitamin A diet. I'm also linking to the audio version uh, of his second book on YouTube. In my opinion, his second book is very approachable. Uh, it's on YouTube, being read by a guy who has a nice accent, so it makes it really easy to get through. So I really hope you enjoyed the interview. If you do have more questions for Grant, you can read his blog posts and go post on his forums uh, located on his blog or send them over to me at quackspodcast at gmail.com. And if I get enough of them, you know, maybe we can set up another interview with Grant to get those questions answered. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'll see you next week and be well.